Well, good morning, church. How many of you are sleep-deprived here this morning? Anyone? Yeah, just a little bit, a little bit. Um, I don't know if that's because of Thon or if that's just because you're a college student and you're just in a constant state of sleep deprivation. I don't know. Either way, we're glad you're here. Uh, My name is Dan Min, and I have the privilege and the joy of serving... Excuse me, serving as the pastor here at ACF, and uh, if we have not met yet, we'd love a chance to meet you at some point and uh, welcome you into our church family. Hopefully, the next few moments that we have together will be life-giving, informative, inspiring, and all of the above for your soul and wherever you are on your spiritual walk with, with the Lord. Maybe I, I recognize that, that there are some of us who are, who've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Like you were, you were born in the sanctuary of your church. You came out singing hallelujah to Jesus. And for some of you, you are a brand new Christian. Maybe, and still yet, maybe there are some of us here in this room that uh, are just exploring the faith and are asking questions and we haven't made any commitments or decisions. Either way, we're glad you're here and uh, we hope that as we spend the next few moments together in God's word, it will help you. Now, for those of you who were with us last week, we kicked off a brand new series called Dangerous Prayers, and these are prayers that change us. And uh, uh, again, this is a series that was inspired by Craig Rochelle over the good folks at Life Church. And uh, in fact, they're going through the series now. And, uh, uh, and so I want to give credit where it's due. But for this series, this is a short little three-part series where we're talking about these prayers that are dangerous to pray in nature. Now, what do I mean by that? Are you going to get struck by lightning if you pray these prayers? No, no, that's, we're talking about dangerous in the sense that if we pray these prayers with any level of sincerity, and if God were to actually answer these prayers, how many of you know there's some prayers that God won't answer, (laughs) right? Okay, there's some prayers that just God will not answer for your own good, for my own good, but I promise you, I warn you, these prayers God will always answer. And if God were to truly answer these prayers, these prayers will change your life. They will change your life. And the first prayer that we looked at last week was, God, search me. God, search me. We looked at Psalm 139. David prayed, search me, O God, know my thoughts. And we spent some time talking about the implications of that prayer. God, search me. And we're not going to unpack that entire message here today. If you missed that message, you can watch it on our website or listen to it on our podcast. But today, I want to move us into the second of the three prayers that we're looking at throughout the course of this series. And that prayer we're going to be looking at is, God, break me. God, break me. Can we, can we say that together, church? God, break me. One more time. God, break me. God, break me. There was a song I grew up with in church. I was one of those kids who grew up in church all their life and, you know, was born out of my mother's womb singing praise songs to Jesus like I, I grew up in the church. And in our youth group, uh, we, we, we used to sing this song all the time. It was a simple song. And, and for those of you who, who aren't Christians or who aren't walking with the Lord, this song might sound a bit odd. The message of the song might sound a bit uh, odd, perhaps even a, a bit distasteful. It's a simple song. And the song went like this. Brokenness, brokenness is what I long for. Brokenness is what I need. Brokenness, brokenness is what you want for me. Brokenness is what I long for. Brokenness is what I need. Brokenness is what you want for me. Anyone know that song by any chance? A few of you? Awesome, awesome. 
Um, it's an older song, and, uh, but, but the song might sound a bit odd, perhaps even a bit sadistic, See, you know, that, that God would somehow want me to be broken. This is something that, God, you would want for me. But would you know that this notion is actually supported in Scripture? It's, this concept is actually supported and found in Scripture. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to uh, Psalm 51. If you need a Bible, raise a hand, and uh, we'll have some folks, and they can get a Bible to you. We're looking at Psalm 51, and, uh, and we're, we're looking at uh, another psalm of King David. We looked at Psalm 139 last week, and uh, today we're looking at Psalm 51. And similar to last week, we're only going to be looking at two verses here again. And, um, and I got to say, I, I said this last week, I, how much I love Psalm 139. It is just rich. Psalm 139, if you know that psalm, it is so rich from start to finish. And I, I got to say, Psalm 51 might be equally up there in terms of some of my favorite psalms. This is, this is one of those mega psalms where you read through it and you're like, yes, this is, this is rich. And I would encourage you uh, maybe this week to not only read through Psalm 51, but take some time to read it slowly and meditate on the word of God in Psalm 51. But for today, we're going to jump down to verses 16 and 17 and use these two verses as a launch pad to talk about God break me, to talk about this notion of brokenness. And so look with me at Psalm 51, verse 16. If you don't have a Bible or, or a, a text in front of you, we'll put the text up here on the screen if you'd rather look along with us that way. It says this. This is David praying to God, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Now pause right there for a minute. What is David talking about? Right? Like there, there was this sacrificial system that, that the, the Jewish people would bring sacrifices and, and animals to the altar and sacrifice them in honor and worship of God. And here David is saying, you find no honor in that. You're not pleased with that. Now, you got to understand, he's, David is not bashing the sacrificial system. He is not bashing the system in which God has set up in the Old Testament. He's saying there is something better and bigger that you're looking for, oh God. You're looking for something more than just burnt offerings and sacrifices. And he tells us immediately in verse 17, the sacrifices of God, the kinds of sacrifices that God is looking for, or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Church, what David is essentially saying here is brokenness, brokenness is what you want for me. I mean, that's what David is saying here. He's saying, God, what you're looking for from me more than a burnt offering or sacrifice it is a heart that is broken and contrite. And so, God, break me. Break me. You know, friends, it, it doesn't take very long to realize. You look around our world today and our society and our culture today, it doesn't take very long to realize that our world does not think very highly of brokenness. You're not going to hear that song, brokenness is what I long for, it's what I need on the radio, all right? It's, it's, you're just not going to hear that. It, it doesn't rival, girl, you got that yummy. Uh, that's like, it's, you don't, there's no competition in, in, in terms of like what you hear and what the culture screams out, right? Like, you're not going to hear that song. 
song on the radio. Because brokenness, come on, you know this, brokenness is not something we strive for. It's not something we try to attain in our lives. If anything, come on, you, you, you've experienced this, right? We run from brokenness. We don't run to brokenness. We run from it. Uh, for instance, we try to run from heartbreak. I have never met any college couple that said, man, I can't wait till we break up. Maybe like one or two couples. They, they were unhealthy. They probably needed to break up way earlier than they did. But, but most couples, right, they're not, they're not sitting around being like, I want to run towards heartbreak. No. In any kind of romantic relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you want to run from it. You want to keep heartbreak far away. Some of us grew up in broken families. I don't know all of your history or, or your background, your upbringing, but I, I know enough to say not everyone grew up in a completely functional, healthy home. Some of us grew up in jacked up homes, broken families with broken childhoods. Many of us live our adult lives trying to run from the brokenness of our childhood. Run from the brokenness of our upbringing. We don't run to it. We don't run to things like broken dreams, right? We, we run from it. We run towards our dreams and aspirations. We don't run to broken dreams and crushed hopes. And that's why, that's why it's so easy. You know, a, a lot of times you gather together in pray, these prayer gatherings and prayer meetings. And, and you know, there, there are these very genuine, sincere prayers that are offered up. That, that, that sound more like this, God, bless me, right? How many of us have prayed that prayer before, right? I have, we all have, right? We all, God, bless me. God, protect me. God, heal me. God, help me. You want to know a prayer that I don't hear very often in prayer circles and prayer gatherings? God, break me. And yet... Here in today's passage, David seems to be suggesting that the thing that God values is not what our culture values, and that is brokenness. By the way, how many of you know that what God values often contradicts what our world values, right? What God values often contradicts our world's, what our world values. Furthermore, it is impossible, I will say this again, it is impossible to live by the values of the world while simultaneously living according to the values of God. A lot of us try to do it. A lot of us, especially for those of us in this season of life, we try to live according to the values of the world while simultaneously living according to the values of God. That's like, that's like trying to run on a treadmill while you're popping Twinkies in your mouth, right? Like it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. It outdoes each other. You cannot live according to the values of the world and live according to the values of God. You have got to choose one or the other. And God here is saying, choose brokenness. Don't run from brokenness, rather run to brokenness. But the question is, why? Why the heck would I run towards brokenness? Well, I want to walk you through a sequence of events today that takes place in our walks with Jesus when we pray, God, break me. The sequence is real simple. I'll walk us through this here on the front end, and we'll unpack this in greater detail here in just a few moments. The sequence is this, brokenness, number one, brokenness gives way to hunger. When we break, when we ask God, God, break me, 
there is a, a deposit that takes place between God in, in the heavenly realm and us here in the earthly realm where God begins to stir up a kind of hunger. But hunger then leads to encounter. Hunger leads to an encounter. And that encounter brings about transformation. Brokenness gives way to hunger. Hunger leads to an encounter. An encounter brings about transformation. Remember what we said about these dangerous prayers. If we pray them and God answers them, our lives will change. If we pray them and God answers them, our lives will change. And so let's jump right into the sequence. Number one, brokenness gives way to hunger. Some of you may already know this, but but when you look at this passage in Psalm 51, in fact, some of you might have even a little header at the top of Psalm 51. David is writing this psalm in a moment of desperation. I mean, he's writing in a moment of utter, complete desperation after having his sin exposed, coming face to face with with his own personal depravity. He's looking himself in the mirror and he's having an oh crap moment, right? You ever have the moment that like, you're like, oh man, my life is in ruins right now and I didn't realize it until I looked myself in the mirror. He's having that kind of moment and that's what brokenness is. In fact, uh, even before we go on, I think it's important that we pause here to delineate and make this important distinction between sinful brokenness and spiritual brokenness. Because there is a difference. There's a difference between sinful brokenness and spiritual brokenness. Uh, let, me, let me offer up these real quick thoughts before we move on. Sinful brokenness, for one, emphasizes how messed up we are. It is focused on my sins, my flaws, my brokenness. Sinful brokenness focuses on our sinfulness. Spiritual brokenness, on the other hand, emphasizes God's power over our sinfulness. Spiritual brokenness, you got to understand, spiritual brokenness is not, is not being blind or turning a blind eye to our sinfulness. It's not ignoring our sinfulness, but rather it's simply recognizing that God is bigger than even my sins. When you are spiritually broken, spiritual brokenness says, I might not have the power over my sins, but I know the one who does. That's spiritual brokenness. Sinful brokenness leaves us feeling hopeless. The fact is, when we come face to face with the weight of our own self-depravity, when you have that, like, oh crap moment, you look yourself in the mirror, you're like, oh man, I didn't realize just how messed up I was, or maybe I, 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 I kind of knew, but I didn't want to face it. When you come face to face in that moment, in sinful brokenness, you are simply left feeling hopeless as a natural response. Spiritual brokenness, on the other hand, is full of promise. It's full of promise because as you'll discover in your own spiritual journey, the places, and some of you may already know this if you walk with Jesus long enough, some of the places where God wants to take you, you can only get to through being broken, spiritually speaking. The places where God wants to take you often pass through the valley of brokenness. The ways in which God works in our lives is often through breaking us. And so when you think about that, we're not left feeling hopeless, but rather full of promise that God is at work in this brokenness. That I'm not just left staring at my sinfulness. And then lastly, sinful brokenness tries to compensate with our flesh. sinful, Sinful brokenness is all about compensation. When you realize just how sinful you are and you're led to hopelessness, guess what your natural reaction and my natural reaction is? 
We got to work harder. We got to compensate. We got to compensate for my flaws. We got to compensate for our shortcomings, for our sinfulness with our human efforts. You, so you say, well, I'm messed up, so I, I better clean myself up, get my act together. I better go to church. I better start reading my Bible. I should, probably should start praying. Now listen, those are all good things and life-giving practices, but when, they're, when they become tools for compensating for your sinful brokenness, it is largely ineffective. It's, it's not enough to, to cleanse you and wash your sinful brokenness away. Spiritual brokenness, on the other hand, relies completely on God's grace. It's entirely grace-reliant. It has nothing to do with my abilities. It has nothing to do with how well I can clean myself up. It's about what God has done for me in my place. Spiritual brokenness says, I don't have the answers. I don't have a clue. I don't have the power. I don't have the ability. I don't have what it takes to wash away the filth of my sin. And so, God, I rely completely on your grace to wash over me. Spiritual brokenness allows God's grace to do the cleansing, heart-changing work that we need in our lives. Now, with that understanding of sinful brokenness and spiritual brokenness, you got to understand, David writes this psalm coming out of a place of sinful brokenness. David writes this psalm coming out of, you got to understand this, the, the, the context for how, where David is when he's writing this psalm. He writes this psalm after being caught in a web of lies that he, have, he has built upon him, around himself. He has committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's been plotting and scheming for the death of Uriah, Bathsheba. We talked about this to some degree last week. And, and he's lying about all of this and covering it up. In his sinful brokenness. But would you know that God has a plan to lead him into spiritual brokenness. And he does that by using the prophet Nathan. The prophet Nathan comes alongside David. And he begins to point out all his flaws and all his sins and all his shortcomings. How would you like to have a prophet Nathan in your life? Right? Like coming along and saying, be like, hey bro, did you know, da 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 it's like, and, and, and the prophet Nathan just takes a machine gun and just starts firing truth bullets, like just, you know, boom, boom, like, and David is done. David in this moment, his cover up is, is blown, his and, and there is no, he is completely found out in this moment. That's the place where he's writing this psalm from. As many of you know, our, our men's breakfasts have been focused on the area of sexual purity and, and getting freed from the grip of pornography and, and sexual temptation. And I got to say, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been such a joy, you know, journeying with many of you men in the church. But every session we watch a, a teaching by way of DVD and these teachings are interspersed with stories, real life stories of, of men who have become entangled in pornography or infidelity or some kind of sexual bondage. And the recurring theme that you hear time and time again, men after men, most of whom are, are married with kids. I mean, they're living kind of a, you know, on the surface, it looks like a normal life, but they're deeply entrenched in sexual bondage. This reoccurring theme that you hear over and over again is a story of living in hiding while engaging in sexual bondage. 
living in hiding while engaged in sexual bondage. And anyone who struggles with sexual temptation knows this dynamic of sin and hide. Sin and hide. The more you sin, the more you feel this propensity to hide. And the more you hide, the more anxiety you feel, which then leads you back, right back into the cycle of sin. And you're thrown into this crazy loop of sinning, hiding, sinning, hiding. And more often than not, it takes getting caught for there to be freedom for these men. I, I don't know if you've experienced this maybe even in your own life. But it takes getting caught to actually get better. That's the recurring theme that you hear over and over again. Because it's in getting caught that you essentially come to the end of yourself. It's in getting caught that you realize there is nowhere to hide, there is nowhere to turn, I am found out, and it's in that moment you come face to face with your brokenness. There ain't nowhere to turn to. You ever feel the gravity of that in your own life? I, I have. I've certainly been there. I'll, I'll talk about that in just a few moments, even in my own life. But, but for most people, that experience of facing your brokenness has a way of driving you to Jesus. That's why a lot of people call this the come to Jesus moment because that's precisely what you do. When you come face to face with your brokenness and you realize you've got nowhere to turn, nowhere to hide, the only place you have is to turn upwards, to turn your eyes upwards to your only hope and your only saving grace. This is where David was if you look at how the passage opens up in verse 1, you find David, okay, right? Remember, he just came out of all this living of hiding, living in sin, and he's brought out into the, into the light. He's found out. And so what happens? He says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I mean, the dude is desperate here. I don't know if you hear it in his words. He's, he's crying out in desperation. And then he goes on and he prays in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit do you hear the cry of hunger in David's cry you see here's the thing as messed up as David was for as many mistakes and flaws as David made do you know that the Bible refers to David as a man after God's own heart how is a man like that categorically identified as a man after God's own. That, 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 by the way, that's not a, a, a title that David gave to himself. That's not a title that someone bestowed upon him. That's what God said about David. This guy, he's a man after my own heart. How in the world could that be? How in the world does a guy who, who commits adultery, kills off her husband, tries to hide it from everyone? Oh, and by the way, he is the king of Israel, of the, uh, the holy people of God as he's leading them. He's doing all of this. How can a man like that be a man after God's own heart? You see, the key is his heart was broken. His heart was broken. And, and, and I, when I think about it, I often wonder, how many of us live with a broken heart before God? We just, for most of us, we just kind of skip along. It's like, 
me and God, we're good, we're good. Hey, God, you know, we're talking, I'm reading the Bible, I'm part of a fellowship, I'm doing, I'm not doing this. But, but when was the last time you felt your heart break, like literally snap before God? Where you felt this brokenness before him because you realized just how far short of his glory you actually come. We, I, I feel like today in, in our world, we just don't have a category in our mind for that. But David did. That, that's, that's, part of what, that, that's part of what God identified and helped identify David as a man after God's own heart. You see, when you have a broken and contrite heart, friends, you become desperate and hungry for God. There's no way around that. Brokenness gives way to hunger. Brokenness, a broken person is a person who runs after the heart of God because they realize just how far short they come. Now, this hunger, this hunger actually leads to something else. And that's our second point. Number two, hunger leads us to an encounter. Wouldn't it be a shame if we were just hungry, period, right? Like to be hungry with no end in sight. But you see, the hunger, this hunger that is born out of brokenness almost always leads to an encounter. Now, what do I mean by encounter? This encounter that I'm talking about is an encounter with the living God. I'm speaking about a spiritual divine encounter. Church, do you want to know one of the things that grieves my heart the most as a pastor? As I, as I journey with people and as I walk with people, as I talk with people, one, uh, just, just something that grieves my heart deeply as a pastor. Believe it or not, it's not watching people sin voluntarily. I see that a lot. You know, I see that a lot, you know, uh, on campus, you know, it's just like, I'm good with just not following God. You know, that, that doesn't, you know, yes, that grieves my heart. It's not seeing people avoid church. I, I see people, you know, like I'll invite people to church and people are like, nah, I don't do that. It's like, yeah, okay, that grieves my heart to, to a certain degree. It's not people talking bad about Christianity. It's not encountering people who are antagonistic towards the Christian faith or any of that. Yes, while all of those things grieve my heart, I think the thing that grieves my heart even more than that is watching self-professed Christians live their whole lives without ever encountering the life-giving presence of Jesus. And you know there are people out there like that, that check the box Christian, but they don't know anything about the presence of Christ. They don't know anything about the life-changing presence of Jesus. See, to me, when, when I think about people who identify as Christians who have never experienced the life-changing presence of Christ, man, my heart breaks. Talk about my heart snapping, my heart breaks. And I think a major part of that problem, I, I, I suppose we can identify a lot of reasons for why people would be in that place, but I think a major part of that problem is a hunger issue. It's a hunger issue. Have you ever noticed in Scripture that it's the really hungry and desperate people who end up encountering the power of Christ's presence. It's not the people who are just like, meh, about, like, it's the people who are seriously hungry and desperate for an encounter with Jesus that they get their lives changed by an encounter. Can, can I just give you just a few quick examples here this morning? In Mark chapter 5, if you don't know the story, in Mark chapter 5, there's a story of a woman who was sick and bleeding for 12 years. No one knows what the cause is. No one knows what the symptom, no one knows what the, the cause of all these are. They just know the, the symptoms are. She's been bleeding out for 12 years. She's seen doctors. She's seen physicians. She's seen all kinds of people, but no one could give her an actual diagnosis of what's going on and so she, here she is struggling for 12 years 
12 years in this state of brokenness. You think you might get a little desperate at that point? I get desperate at six months. <laughs> 12 years, this woman. And so what, is she, what happens? She hears that Jesus is coming through town. And the masses of crowd are following Jesus all throughout town. Remember, Jesus is ministering all over, all over this region, and, and there are crowds following him. This woman hears about Jesus coming through town, and so what does she do? She says, she says to herself, it's in the text in Mark chapter 5, if I can even touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be healed. So all I got to do. So what does she do? She busts through the crowd. We don't know her actual physical condition other than she was bleeding out for 12, but, but like in her state of being, she busts through the crowd, she pushes through, she pushes through, she pushes. Now, you got to remember, because Jesus, upon the woman touching the hem of his garment, he turns around and he says, who touched me? Like, there's this massive crowd, and so she, she is working through the crowd, and in her state of hunger and desperation, she reaches out her hand to just reach and touch the hem of his garment, and instantly, right there, she has an encounter. She's healed of this 12-year disease. But it was her hunger and desperation that drove her to that place. Can I, can I give you another one? Luke chapter 5, we find the story of a couple of guys bringing their buddy who was paralyzed. We don't know the full story of how he got paralyzed. Maybe it was a biking accident. I don't know. But he got paralyzed, and he's on this mat. And then the, the, the buddies drop them before Jesus. Right? They, they drop them before Jesus, and, and, and they, 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 they want this guy to encounter Jesus because they know, hey, bro, if you encounter this Jesus, I've heard stories of what happens. If you encounter Jesus, your life is going to change. It's going to be different for you. And in fact, the text says they, they, they were so hungry for this. Listen to what the text says in, in Luke chapter 5, 19. You don't need to turn there. It says, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd... They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And I love, I love Jesus' response. When he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And right there, the man gets up from his mat and begins to walk. I mean, that is desperation and hunger right there. Listen, when you're desperate and hungry enough, it'll make you do some crazy things like dropping your buddy down a roof. I'm, I'm telling you, you, you get hungry and desperate enough, it's going to make you do some crazy things. Can I just give you just one more example? In Luke chapter 7, we find the story of this unnamed woman. She's known as the sinful woman. You know that when you're known in the story as a sinful woman, your reputation ain't good in town, right? Like, she, we don't know her name. All we know is that she had a public reputation for her sinfulness. Now, because of that, the chances are her sin was probably somewhere, somewhere in the realm of sexual promiscuity. And so, uh, but, but regardless, she is known in the story as the sinful woman. Now she hears, similar to the woman who was sick and bleeding for 12 years, similar to her story, she hears that Jesus is chilling at a town, at, at, at a home in, in, a, in a nearby, you know, just down the road. She hears that Jesus is hanging out in a home, and she says to herself, I got to get to him. The only problem is he's in the home of a religious leader. He's hanging out with a religious leader. Now, if you know anything about the dynamic of between, the, between religious leaders and, and people who had a public reputation of sinfulness, a sinful woman and a religious leader, they're not going to Starbucks and having a cup of coffee together. They're not chilling. They're not hanging. The, the Pharisee would not invite this woman into her home. Knowing that, 
knowing that, this woman knows that she is not welcome in this home, knowing that, she busts right through. She rolls up into, into the Pharisee's house with an alabaster jar of perfume, breaks it over Jesus' feet, begins to weep. We're just saying our affection, our, our, our heart, and our devotion, we pour out on the feet of Jesus. That is where that comes from. Right there, in that moment, that woman breaks the perfume, starts weeping over Jesus' feet, and begins to wash his feet with her tears. I mean, first of all, what a picture of brokenness, huh? I mean, right there, we could, we could even spend a whole message on, on a picture of brokenness. If you go back to this, the definition of spiritual brokenness, number one, she is fixated on God's power over her sinfulness rather than fixating on her own sinfulness. She doesn't even care, like, about her public reputation of her sinfulness. No, she's here to be with Jesus. Number two, she doesn't leave hopeless, but rather she leaves full of promise. Jesus tells her at the end of the story, hey, woman, you're forgiven. You're good. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She walks out. I guarantee you, her next day, she woke up the next morning feeling different, feeling changed. Number three, she is completely reliant on God's grace here. When she's, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, she's got nothing but to receive the gift and the grace of Jesus, this unnamed sinful woman is the perfect image of true spiritual brokenness. But you want to know what led her there? It was her relentless hunger and desperation for an encounter. She needed to see Jesus. She goes out of her way to be with Jesus. Friends, let me say it again. When you're hungry and desperate enough, you will go to extreme measures to fill that hunger and desperation. Can I plead with you just for a moment? When you come to church, I don't know how, what state of mind you come to church with. But can I plead with you? Can, can I just ask that you come hungry every Sunday? Many of you are involved with Bible studies and small groups on campus. Many, many of you lead different groups, small groups and Bible studies and life groups and what have you. Can I ask you, go to your small groups hungry. Just hungry. Many of you are plugged into different campus ministries. You guys have large group gatherings. I don't know how you walk into those gatherings, but can I ask you to consider going hungry because spiritual hunger creates an environment that is poised and ready for an encounter with the living God. I'm going to tell you this right now. I guarantee God will rarely ever show up in a place where there is no hunger. A lot of us, we, we want God to do a special work and special move in our lives, but our hunger is like, just it's just, it's absent. It's absent. And so, and so you want an encounter? It's got to come from a place of hunger. Hunger. You look at these stories, they were all hungry for an encounter because hunger ultimately leads us to this encounter with Jesus. But then the question is, what happens at the point of encounter? And that's our final point here. Encounter brings about transformation. You better believe that David's life took a turn after this encounter. In fact, when you read through Psalm 51, this is why I want you to read through Psalm 51, because all of that psalm is in and of itself evidence of that very fact that David encountered the power of God in his life, and therefore his life was transformed. 
You see that David's heart is radically changed and transformed as you read through this psalm. You gotta, you gotta understand, David goes from, 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 from sleeping with Bathsheba and, and plotting and scheming to kill Uriah and trying to cover all this up, hiding his sins and running from God to, against you only have I sinned and I've done evil in your sight. He goes from that to purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. He goes from running from God to deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. He goes from hiding and keeping his sins under wraps to, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. What in the world happened? How did David go from living in lie, living in deceit, living in hiding, living in complete, blatant, uh, like, uh, like obvious sin to this place where he's saying, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. He had an encounter. When you have an encounter, your life is changed. It is different. It is fundamentally, at its core, different and if it's not, you got to question the validity of your encounter. Because all throughout Scripture, anyone who's encountered God left different. You don't ever encounter God and be like, oh, that was cool. You don't see that. You see people's lives being radically transformed. Let me close out with this final story. There was a season of my life where I was, I, I told you, I, I grew up in the church and I, I grew up, you know, serving as a leader in our youth group and all these things, but I, but I hit a point in my journey where I was just kind of sick and tired of being a Christian. You ever, you ever come to that place where you're like, I feel like I've been a professional Christian all my life and I'm just I'm a little tired of it. I want to do me. You, you, ever, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I want to I explore. And so... Uh, that launched me into sort of this season of rebellion, of just kind of not caring about anything and just, just living for myself. And all my selfish desires I, I fulfilled and all my fleshly pleasures I indulged. And I remember it was at that point I had my first sexual encounter. And I, I'm not going to go into all the details because my kids are in the room and they are listening. <laughs> um, and, uh, but but this, is, um, this, this was a season of my life where... Um, I, I, I had my first sexual encounter, and, and, and I, for, for some people, after a moment like that, um, they, they're, you know, it kind of fluctuates in terms of, like, where your emotional state is. For some, it's like, man, it's like, I'm the freaking man. Like, I'm the king of the world, like, I, and this and that. Or, you know, some people, like, feel, you know, just kind of weird, confused. I don't know. For me, um, I, I felt... I felt hopelessly dirty. Like, like it, it, it would be like if I, if I went out in this nice light-colored suit and I started thrashing around in, in, in a mud pit somewhere. I, and I was like, man, I, there's no amount of scrubbing that, that will help me feel clean. I remember coming out of that experience literally feeling like my hands were dirty and I, like it sounds weird but I, I kept washing my hands feeling like I just I can't 
get this feeling of filth off, dirt off. Uh, some of you guys, you, like, this is, it sounds foreign. It's like, why would you feel that way? I, if I had more time, I could probably share with you sort of what the Holy Spirit was downloading in my, in my heart in that moment. But, but I just, I felt dirty. I was like washing my hands and, and I just, I couldn't get this sense of like just filth off of me. During that time in my life, um, I was a worship leader and uh, I, you know, I, I, I got into the habit of writing songs and, and I wrote a song about that experience. And um, it's, it's not a great song, and I'm not going to sing it for you here, but I do want to share with, with you just, just the, the heart and just so you kind of get a glimpse of kind of where my headspace was during that season of my life. I, I titled the song actually Unclean Hands. Because again, I, I just felt like, man, I just, <laughs> I can't get this sense of, dirt and filth off of me. I wrote, I am one of unclean hands and my sins, it takes hold of me. I feel so much shame and guilt and unworthiness to come before the cross. By the way, how, how many of you know sin has a way? The enemy loves, the enemy loves to take our mistakes and our flaws and our sin and warp it so that he keeps us far from Jesus. That's what I was feeling. So much shame and guilt and it's just unworthiness to come before the cross. And I continue to write, I, I've made mistakes in the past, mistakes I'll, I'll never forget. But Lord, you say to me, your sins are forgiven, child. Go and sin no more. Because Jesus, you died and you shed your blood, the blood that washed all my sins away, the blood that gave me clean hands, the blood that took my shame and all my guilt away. Now come and use these hands for your glory, Father. Now come and use these hands for your glory, Father. How, how did I go from feeling like no matter how much I wash my hands, I feel like I can't get them clean to, okay, now God, these hands, come on now. They're for you. Use them. I know they're dirty. Like, how, how did I go from living in complete blatant sin and opposition against God to Jesus, you died and you shed your blood, the blood that washed my sins away? How did I go from that to that? How did David go from sleeping with Bathsheba and all of these things to, oh God, I cry out to you? You see, friends, when you have a genuine encounter with the living God and you experience and taste his goodness firsthand in your life, in the midst of your brokenness, I promise you, your life changes. It transforms. An encounter with the living God transforms you from the inside out. Some of you are trying to wash your hands, and it ain't working. Some of you are trying to strive and work, and it ain't working. The gospel is he's done all the washing of his hands for you. He has done all the cleansing work on your behalf so that you don't have to hopelessly wash your hands, hoping that somehow you would clean yourself. No, the encounter with this God is enough to transform you from the inside out. But the only way to get there is to allow God to break you. You can't get to this place of transformation if God does not break you. 